Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my guest talked about the context of content and how important it is to deliver the right content at the right point when your buyers really need it, depending on what stage of the process they are. So often, I think the stat is 70% of content is, is not used, but it's not used because it's not good. It's not used because it's not given at the right point. So Highspot is one of those companies that really focuses on making sure content delivers, not only through the metrics, but also through the training as well. This just-in-time training, moving your sales team, your sales people with the information they need at the right points. My next guest is VP of Product and Customer Marketing at Highspot. He has a passion for connecting people to resources and solving tough problems. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Gerard Green. Thank you, Janice. How are you today? Yeah hot <laughs> it's 90 degrees here i'm hot <laughs> but you know i've been looking forward to speaking uh, to you so i wanted to start off by talking about a high spot and what they do for for their customers and the kind of the great things around making sure that the content is really working for them and that's the core to lots of people's businesses because i i think i read a stat that 70 percent of content is unused which is what's the point in creating it if it's not used if it's missing right. the point so tell me more about you know what's uniquely different about what you do for your your customers at high spot Absolutely. So um, to take a step back for a minute, so Highspot's a sales enablement platform. Uh, we believe that sales enablement is the discipline that gets all of the content, all of the sales training, all of the sales coaching, all the things that marketing and sales and enablement teams do to make sales successful together in one place. Um, and when you think about why content isn't used, you have to remember most of the time it's not because a salesperson doesn't like the content or can't find the content, usually they don't know how to use it or when to use it and in what situations to use it in. And I think marketers, we got to recognize that like not all of our content is phenomenal. Yeah. I think we have a point of view that everything we write is gold. And I think most of what we write is good in a specific context. So for top of funnel or for mid funnel or for bottom of funnel, there's a piece of content that serves a very specific purpose, but we have to give our sales teams guidance on when and how to use that content. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about what Highspot does, it yes, will centralize all of your content. You'll have a single source of truth for where all your stuff is, make it easy to find, tags, and guidance, it's fine. It's the context that I think really matters. When do I use this? How do I use this? What does good look like when I use this? What will happen when I use this correctly? And then what are all the great analytics and insights I'm gonna get about what pieces of content are driving conversion? And then that's when you can flip the whole conversation to say, 
again, it's not that you're not using the content, it's that you're using the wrong content at the wrong time and you're not having the right success levels. And so, yeah, of course, you're not going to ever use this piece of content again. But if we put together the right content for the right time, for the right buyers in the right scenarios, then the likelihood that you're successful goes up and then we all win. So I think in a nutshell, you want to think about high spot, not just as a content repository. This is your content. This is your sales training. Uh, you can find a similar statistic that says about 87% of training is forgotten if it's not applied in 30 days. So I'm sure you've spoken to many kind of sales practitioners and sales training practitioners who are beating the same drum about building phenomenal world-class training and onboarding programs, but the training's forgotten. So again, I get a lot of things in context. Uh, we at Highspot believe is the way to get more consumption from the sales team and therefore more conversion and better alignment to the business outcomes we're all trying to drive. So explain to me, how does the training fit into all of this? Because I read, you know, on your, your site that, you know, that's the key aspect, but I don't understand how that all kind of locks in. Sure. Yeah. When you think about um, kind of traditional formal training uh, lessons and courses and certifications, those are typically set in kind of corporate learning management systems. Um, there's a, a category of sales training tools that allow you to do the video training and set up courses and set up lessons. Again, the challenge has always been context. Uh, I've never met a seller that says, I, I love training. I, I can't wait to take this training class, right? So They do if, when they're doing my class. Thank you well, very well, much. That's the, only, that's the only exception. I, I forgot about that one. But I, 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 I fundamentally believe that training is also contextual. You take the training when you need to train. You need to learn about that product before the sales call you have to present on that product. And most of the time, the formal training you need has been you know, it can, it can, it can be a little, it can be a little stale. Um, we always use an analogy of if you're going to paint a fence, you're not going to read a book on how to paint a fence. You typically going to go to YouTube and, go, you know, search for how to paint a fence. And you're going to try to find the shortest, but most impactful video you can find. And you're going to watch that video in two X speed. And then you're going to go out and you're going to try to do what you saw in the video. And I think we see a lot of that in the sales training realm, particularly as like the sales force, demographics have changed. More millennials are now entering the workforce and the way they learn is kind of that just in time, uh, just enough. How do you serve that need in context? And when you think about putting it in the kind of the high spot system, of course there's courses and there's lessons and there's the learning paths and the certifications that the traditional kind of LMS tools have, but 70% of learning is done with the actual application of the work. And so how do we, again, get that learning, get that training, get that just in time nugget to you in a way that it, it meets you exactly where you are, right? If I'm meeting with a customer tomorrow about one of the new products in the portfolio that's in industry X, that is a cross-sell opportunity, wouldn't it be great if we could just send you this micro learning of what to do on that call tomorrow? Uh, and what if that micro learning included background on the product, background on the industry, uh, background on the account, and then also just best practices on, on how to have a great second meeting. So it's not about this massive repository of learning that you want your seller to sort through and have them find. It's about the learning, finding the seller at, at the moment that they needed it. So again, that, that context, that analytics, that AI all coming together uh, to meet a seller where they are, to make it feel like this completely immersive thing, as opposed to this wildly complex system that they have to, to sort through on a day-to-day. It's interesting because you want your sellers to meet the buyers where they are. 
Mm. And often you don't meet the sellers where they are. I mean, the yeah. whole sell system isn't really geared up for that. And it's crazy. The sell system is not geared up for that. This is why we've got the expanding sales ops. We've got the expanding um, sales enablement. We've got mm. the expanding sales stack. There's so many levels of complication that yeah. we're putting in to the sales process that I wonder how much we are actually meeting salespeople where they're at rather than layering on more and more complication. I don't know if you have a view about that. No, 100%. I mean, we look at kind of this notion of more, more, more. We, we talk about that a lot is yeah. in response to changing economic pressures that we're all feeling right now, in response to changing buyer dynamics, in response to product complexity, the, the natural reaction from marketing and from sales leadership and from enablement is to say, well, here's more things, right? Here's, here's more content, more training, more tools, more dashboards, more insights. We just, we just tend to just say here, like we, we got you. And again, if you're a seller on the other end of that, it's, it's so overwhelming because putting it all together can, can be downright impossible. Um, how does this all fit? Um, you give me a new tool. I need to be trained on that tool. Um, you give me a new dashboard, I need to know how to read this thing. You give me a new piece of content, I need to know where it fits in the system. And you get this information overload and sellers check out. They just, they're, they're human beings. They're, there's cognitive overload and they just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to default to what has gotten me to club the last three years and I'm going to be just fine. And, you know, typically you'll have that bell curve of performance and you're kind of your top performers are going to do what top performers do. Your middle sellers can go either way. Your bottom sellers are going to churn. And we've just kind of accepted that. We've just kind of accepted that, you know, the majority of our quota attainment is going to come from our top performers. And that's just the way it is. And, and we hope we can pull some of the middle of the pack forward. We hope we can manage them up instead of managing them out. And we've just assigned a model. Literally, you've seen these sales capacity models of we, we predict 20, 25%, 30% churn. And that's why we have to hire more, 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 more. And it's crazy. It really is crazy. And so I think one of the, the principles that um, I've learned to appreciate about the way uh, we even think about enablement internally at High Spot is this notion of uh, enablement with empathy, putting the seller at the forefront of everything we do and start to think about wearing their shoes for just a minute and thinking about if you land a program, if you land an initiative, if you land a new tool, if you do not start with the what's in it for me as a seller, it does not get launched. If, if we can't communicate that to our sales team, we, we can't launch it. We will delay a launch. We will push something back. We will hold. We have to nail that with you. Otherwise, we will lose them. And I think more organizations are starting to recognize, particularly in the wake of the disruption caused by the pandemic, your cheat code, your ability to hire and retain talent is everything. And so being empathetic isn't you know a play you run. It's, it's got to be part of your culture. So I, I feel it too, Janice, that notion of like just overwhelming a seller. Those days, I think, have to be over for, for companies that want to be able to, to drive uh, faster change uh, with more meaningful impact. I think that the um, requirements of the salesperson, what they, they, they need to do in the job has changed. The problem is, is that the job spec hasn't changed. And yeah. the problem is, is that the sales managers have been in the industry for a while. So they haven't changed really. Sales leaders, people need to be have business acumen. They need mm -hmm. to be able to have different conversations to be trusted advisors. You mm -hmm. have all of the tools that give you that 
just-in-time information. So you don't need to have 20-year history on this product anymore. That's not necessary. So the job has changed, but the job spec hasn't changed and that many of the managers haven't changed. I don't know if you've got a view on on that, that how you can enable that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Again, a learning uh, that I've had in the last couple of years is also that enablement only goes as far as manager enablement. And we've kind of forgot about the managers in that process. So when you think about the sales enablement activities, you know, we at Highspot think about in the world, yes, you need to equip your reps with content. That's important. They need to go out and engage buyers with that content. Yes, that's important. They need the training, but they also need to be coached. And who enables the coaches? Who sits down with the sales managers and says, here's how we're going to launch this new product. Here's how we're going to take out this competitor. And how do you do it in a way that is um, kind of consistent and systemic throughout the org? Because you've seen this as well, sales rep rises to sales manager. Sales manager basically says, do the things that I did when I was a rep. And I'm going to have my team embody a lot of the things that I believe is core principles. And we are going to crush our quota as a team, (laughs) right? And so you create another team with top performers, but that's different from the team right next to it. That's different from the Northeast region team. That's different from the strategic team. That's different from the commercial team. So everybody's got a different set of plays that they're not wrong to run, but where's the oversight of the connective tissue of market insights, competitive insights, product specs, um, you know, learnings on a demo. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that we need to be consistent about for the sales management level, because also think about it when we launch a new initiative to the field in mass, the field typically has a question, who's the first person they ask? It's not the sales enablement, it's not the sales trainer, it's not the product marketer, it's their manager. Janice, how does this fit? How does this work? Janice, this is <laughs> incongruent with what you told me two months ago. I thought we weren't selling the product anymore. And yeah. so getting managers on the same page, coaching, giving them the content first, the plays, the whiffy, the big picture, getting their buying around the thing, we believe is essential to good enablement because without it, you're now running sales plays in the silos and the business outcomes become inconsistent. You're right back to why is only Fred's team crushing it? What's Fred's team doing that Bob and Janice's and Jeff's team aren't? And now that inspection of what's different will probably come back to have those managers been enabled and enrolled on the thinking around the initiative at the same level. And and worse, are they bought in? <laughs> do do they believe it? Because you don't want the CRO or the head of sales having the crackheads. That if that's happened, something's gone awry. If we can get alignment through and through, which I know sounds like Nirvana, but if we can get at least alignment around why we're driving this and what the business outcomes are, what the specific behaviors and skill changes and knowledge the reps need to have, and making sure that enablement and marketing can can be aligned on delivering those we can now make it a lot easier for a seller to get it going back to the empathy point we talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, I certainly meet many sales leaders that understand the business goal and objective, but when you go down a level to the sales manager, they have no idea. 
They have yeah. no idea at all. And then, you know, forget it at sales rep level it's all about the quota that's what that's okay. don't don't talk to me about anything else you don't need to know that just right. focus on your your quota and, yeah. and i think you're right there's got to be an alignment throughout the entire organization and you know to make sure that everyone's on the same page and aiming for the same goal there's a few things that i wanted you, um your your view on because i don't know at high spot whether they have an awareness of of this i really want to uh, get your view i have a passion and a campaign around changing the language we use in sales things like hunter target mm. lead close i mean it's not only disrespectful to our most valued customers it's very disrespectful to us as as people within sales to be thinking in that way no one's on safari going out killing lions you yeah. know it's not it's no longer uh, uh, about us and them us uh, you know buyers and sellers we're on the same team we yeah. should be aiming for for the same goals if our customers win and having a you talked about a clear focus of what's in it for me unless we're clear about what the outcome is for our customer we shouldn't be doing it so we should be on the same team but the language that we use in sales doesn't enable that mm. so and i've seen a lot of programs that continue to reinforce that kind of language clothes hunter leads Mm. This is why I really want to float it by your boat. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I love it. And as you said it, I thought through some of the terms we use. Um, I lead a product marketing team. One of our kind of pillars is on compete and intelligence. And I remember we, we authored, uh, we call them daggers, competitive daggers. Like you pull out these knives to, to, go, to go poke your competitors. And I just, that's super aggressive and violent. <laughs> so I just, I, I caught it when you said it. Um, I will join you in that campaign, Janice. I think like being conscious of the words we use, uh, being conscious of the, the mental state and, and the attitudes and how we reinforce those through our communications is something I think we, we should all be aware of. And I also think, um, yes, this notion of being on the same page, there's also, uh, there's also buyer empathy that I think we lose sometimes. And, and it's respect, like you said, it's respect for the buyer to understand that they're not out to, to, to be hunted. They're not out to be sought. They're not out to be gathered or sold to. Um, and it's not as aggressive, but a word, a word that I also don't love. I don't, I don't love the concept of pitch. Yeah. I don't love the concept of, uh, hey, here's the pitch deck, because it assumes that I'm going to show up on a call. I'm going to pitch you on an idea. And in 20 or 25 minutes, if you're sold on an idea, we're going to have another meeting. Um, and so I've tried to incorporate the concept of a teach deck, um, because, again, I don't think people want to be pitched to. I think people want to learn. And I think the notion of the buyer-seller dynamic is to get your sellers to be more of a trusted advisor, um, uh, an information um, collector and an information provider, and almost this information contextualizer. Because let's put ourselves in the shoes of the buyer for a minute. How much information sources do they have to make a purchase decision now between what's on the internet, between Gartner, Forrester, G2, friends, families, I mean, there's just there's just so much out there for them to make sense of. And how many times have you seen the best sales person wins when they can make all that information make sense? And that's just a much more positive experience than, well, let me just pitch you my version of it and, and see if I can compel you to do more things. We've seen that behavior 
get tuned out, specifically more so in the wake of uh, virtual selling, when I'm not in the room with you. I cannot compel you with my energy and my aura. Uh, I'm just another meeting on a Zoom and you're looking at, you're multitasking. You're looking at another thing you got to get ready for. And if this thing doesn't end in five minutes, we're all going to hop off. We won't, it's not as rude as leaving the room, but we got to go at the top of the hour. So, you know, get, get through your pitch, send it to me when I'm done, we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. So I, I will join you in the being more conscious of our language campaign. You, you, you have converted uh, a new follower. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. All right, I want to uh, talk to you about diversity in in sales. Now we're both black black people here, and you know I'm sure you often go in the room and you're the only. And you know it may have changed, it may not have. So I'd really like like your view. There's a lot of talk around encouraging more diversity into sales. The numbers haven't really moved significantly, but I, I, I wonder, you know, is it something that you're conscious of? Are there certain experiences you'd like not to have again? Um, what do you think we should be doing yeah. as an industry? I, I think the, the, the first thing I think about is just there's, there's always historical context we need to be aware of. Um, these challenges have been around a long time. 2020 felt like this great awakening, but for folks like you and me, it was just another year. And so it's great. It's, it's great that there's a collective set of awareness that, hey, we need to do things differently. And as a company, we need to do things differently. We need to recruit, we need to attract. Um, we didn't run into these problems in overnight, and we're not going to solve them overnight. And I think the biggest thing that I would ask companies to do is don't just look at how many are in the pipeline. Don't just kind of think about uh, diversifying the pipeline. Start with your current employees. Look at the experiences that they have had and get an understanding of, are those experiences great? Um, if you cannot, if you're, if, if you're, uh, if you're uh, minority um, employees are not having great experiences, the likelihood that you will attract more minorities is very low. All right. So whether or not there's an official uh, green book in tech about what companies to work for, it, it exists. Before I joined the company, I reached out to the brown folks and black folks and said, hey, what's it really like to work here? And they will tell you. <laughs> they, will, they will be unabashed in, in, in that pursuit. And I think, again, going back to historical context is so much of what we have not had are the same opportunities. And so creating more of those, creating more safe spaces for us to flourish in sales, to flourish in marketing, to flourish in product organizations is the floodgate I think we open up now is to create those opportunities. And those opportunities should create more. But I just I just want to be conscious this wasn't an overnight problem and it won't it won't be an overnight solution. And I'd encourage and ask more hiring managers, more sales leaders, more marketing leaders um, to again recognize those hidden biases you have and recognize that a lot of this is about opportunities. People don't have the skill sets that you think they should have at a certain point in their career because they didn't get the same opportunities as other people got. But put in the right position, going back to context, these people would absolutely flourish in your organization. So, you know, it's it's a mixed bag of how do we make up for lost time? How do we create more opportunities? And then how do we, again, make sure that the folks who are in the org now having these experiences are being treated well? Because if they're not, they're going to leave and you're right back to where you started. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think the, I, I thought I thought of uh, it's not only the people in the organization if they're being treated well, but then the other people within the organization 
really checking their own biases that are already in the organization because they may be treated well in their team, but when they go out to the wider context of the organization, then they're not quite so so comfortable. Um, And it's sometimes that people just have lived a narrow life and and you know they just don't have the experience of the other they make assumptions our education um continues to um amplify the the one view of the world so if you're educated in that way then you don't think of what the alternative view of the world might be that you've got no experience of it so i think there's a job for organizations to do for everyone else within the organization as as well they need to be aware of their own biases and things yeah and i agree with you we've we've got a long way to go and that's why it's a, a subject i constantly platform on scale your sales um because i think it's important that we need to find a way through so that's my amen. No, I, amen. And, I, and again, I, I like I, I believe there is a broader enablement job to be done by human resources organizations, by boards, by executive leadership teams. There's a broader job to be done on what that looks like. And so I, again, can recognize, I think, better effort to, to be better at diversity and equity and inclusion and belonging. I see it across the I see it commercialized across the board. I see it everywhere. Um, but the actual execution of it, it's going to take some time. I mean, this yeah. is a multi-decade-like you know, decade, like, approach to it. The folks that you're bringing in that may not have gotten opportunities in the past will be the next generation leaders you have who will give marginalized folks opportunities that they didn't get. And it, it's just a long tail that's coming. But I just, I, I want us to kind of recognize that like, just because there's more brown faces on the exec team, just because um, we put the flag up for Pride Month, just because we give Juneteenth off as a holiday doesn't mean we've we've solved uh, you know what, what what could be at least in America a 400 year challenge. It, it's going to take a while. Yeah. It's going to take, a while, but yeah. And you know, it. it's not not uh, England is in the same position. It's not you know just just America. We may it may be packaged slightly differently, <laughs> but actually, if you look at the boards and you look at um, the figures. The figures are exactly the same so we yeah. have the same same issue okay yeah. so let me ask you who is your hero or shiro my hero shiro so my my mother is my shiro um my mother uh was a librarian and my mother worked for the city and part of what i've always appreciated about my mother is that she could see around corners because i i literally think working in a library it is literally like you are surrounded by resources. You're surrounded by knowledge and you're surrounded by insights. And like, this is like uh, the millennials listening, like physical hard copy books, <laughs> like you're surrounded by, so this is like old school internet, right? But like you're surrounded by all these resources. And if you want to learn something, you just you need to pick a book and open it up. And I think the library was also this place where um, other folks could just be without having to, to, to pay to be. Um, so uh, different schools would come in, different programs would come in, um, you know, different different activities would be a part of it. And I think by virtue of just seeing it and sensing it, she always put me in a position to take advantage of those resources. She always had a, she always had a way to say, oh, you're doing this camp this summer, uh, I'm gonna put my son in it. Or you're doing this type of school and this kind of alternative way of learning, 
I think my son would be interested in that. And so she's she's it set the foundation and the course for me to recognize that, you know, there's a whole bunch of resources out in this world. And so much of it just requires the translation of how someone else can take advantage of it. And, you know, I'm giving you the non-typical answer for all the reasons. I love my mother. I love my mother because she gave me life. I love my mother because she instilled competence. I love my mother because she provided so much. But I think that's the thing that she instilled in me that, that I kind of want to carry forward and continue to do is make sure people have access to resources that wouldn't have otherwise gotten that because it'll unlock so much potential in human beings that I think we even scare ourselves sometimes. So my, my mother's a shiro for a variety of reasons, but that program she instilled in me is one I keep to this day and still in my kids and my teams and everyone around me. Mm, that's wonderful. It's wonderful that you're carrying that through. So it's um, fantastic. All right. So how can listeners get hold of you? Oh man, uh, I am an open book. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So that's one of the channels. I used to be better at Twitter, but I just, a couple of years ago, just to stop. So LinkedIn, super easy. You can always drop me an email. I'm very responsive. It's just gerard.green at highspot.com or my personal, if you want, gerard.green at gmail.com. But those are the three channels uh, that are easiest to reach me. In, and I'll look forward to having any type of conversation anybody wants to have. Well, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a guest on, on Scale Yourselves podcast. Gerard Green. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Yourselves podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.